Well, church, uh, it's a joy today for us to be able to gather in Jesus' name. And uh, I want to tell you, as we are coming into a new season, I am very excited as the Lord has been stirring on my heart over this theme of regathering. In the midst of this season, uh, we are entering this time of regathering. We've been disconnected for a period of time. Uh, some of us have said, would probably say, man, it's been forever since I've been connected to some of the folks in the church. This is a season of regathering. So over the last weeks, we've enjoyed moving into live preaching in our church services. Can I tell you, last week I had the joy of having crying babies in all three of our services, each one. It was the greatest thing ever. I loved it. It wasn't the unblinking eye of a camera I was preaching to. It was a live audience, and it was so wonderful to be gathered together and lifting up the name of Jesus together. Uh, another just praise. Last week, I got to meet a new friend, and this is a gentleman who had been coming uh, to our church services over this last year, had been connecting with us online, and uh, for the first time, we got to see each other, meet each other. Uh, we had written some letters back and forth, uh, and so that was another joy, just seeing that sense of regathering together. And uh, so, so now we're actually coming into a new phase, and uh, as, as early as next week, we're going to be regathering uh, outdoors uh, all in one service together, 10 a.m., and we hope that you will join us for that. If you're comfortable and able to come out, come on out and join us for that service. The entire church, uh, those who can gather together, will be gathered on the front lawn, and we hope that you will be able to be a part of that. The fact of the matter is God has been with us uh, in every phase of this journey. We have no doubt about that. And though some of these phases have been uncomfortable, some of them have, have stretched us in ways that we haven't always liked, God has absolutely been with us. And so now as we come to this next phase, uh, we hope that you will join us in that spirit of regathering. So lots of details on our reopening page that you can see. I don't want to get into the specifics of that today, but simply just to say we look forward to uh, connecting with you next week. Uh, just as a follow-up from last week, we began our new series, Hope Has a Name, on Resurrection Sunday. And it was a beautiful joy to contemplate the power of the cross, the promise of the empty tomb. Last week we were looking at Jesus' name above all names. And today I want to look with you from Acts chapter 4, Jesus the Cornerstone. What a powerful title that he has. So as you turn there, uh, let me share with you uh, one other story just to kind of get you a little bit started, get us going in the right direction here today. Um, I like to keep things simple when it comes to my hair, these lovely locks of hair. Uh, keep it cut short. I take a shower, I use a little hair gel, and then I'm out the door. And if I'm working on this for more than like a minute, uh, it's too long. So I like to keep it simple when it comes to my hair. Several months ago, when I saw that my little uh, supply of hair gel was running low, I grabbed a tube that my son was not using uh, and said, he said he didn't want it back, and then I used it daily to kind of keep these lovely locks in place, just kind of do the thing. Shower, quick, you know, hair gel, and out the door. Well, fast forward to about a month ago, when that tube now was beginning to run out, and I had a very surreal experience. I picked the tube up to read the label to see what I, you know, if I needed to buy some more of this stuff, what, what was I actually using? And I realized it was not hair gel, but it was rather some kind of fancy lotion that I had been putting in my hair for months. 
It, it was surreal because I literally held it in my hand and thought, well, that's not my hair gel. This is some kind of lotion that looks like my hair gel. And then I realized I'd been putting this lotion in my hair for months. I, I went to my son and I asked him about it. And, and he said, oh, I knew it was lotion. I just, you asked if I wanted it or not. And I said, I didn't want it. So I said, okay. I didn't realize what I was asking for. Uh, I said something to my wife. She didn't even knew, know what was going on. But I, it, was, it was just a very surreal thing to realize that the product I was using, I was using incorrectly. Now, I am pleased to report that we have corrected the problem. My wife actually picked up a product that she said will work very well on my hair. So I'll let you know how that goes. Uh, the fact of the matter is, user error does not mean that the product is bad. User error does not mean that the product is bad. And there's probably a lot of areas in your life or in my life where we would assume that the product is bad because the way we were using it does not seem to work. I've heard a lot of people make sort of the cynical statement when they hear things like, oh, Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. They would say, I've tried the Christian thing and it doesn't work. It didn't work for me. But G.K. Chesterton said this. He said, the Christian ideal has not been tried and found wanting. It has been found difficult and left untried. And so over these next couple of weeks, as we continue in the Hope Has a Name series, I want to lean into the difficult path of following Jesus as we experience this together, that hope has a name. So turn with me, if you would, to Acts chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 5 to 12 with you today. Uh, Acts chapter 4 reads this way. The next day, the rulers, the elders, and the teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. And Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. And they had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them. By what power... Or what name did you do this? They're referring to the healing of a, of a lame person that we'll come to that in, in just a moment. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if we are being called uh, to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be Save. May God add blessing to the reading of His Word this morning. I want to give you just a little bit of background on this passage of Scripture as we dig into it together. In Acts chapter 2, we see the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost. Thousands of people then come to faith in Christ as the Gospel is preached. The church of Christ is literally lit on fire as the Holy Spirit lights them up. Uh, in Acts chapter 3, we see the healing of a lame beggar. This leads to more preaching in the name of Jesus as people are sort of drawn to know what is actually going on here. But it also draws a level of spiritual opposition from the religious power brokers. 
Even as that's happening, though, 5,000 more people are putting their faith in Christ. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John have been locked up and now are being brought in for questioning. And that is what brings us to our passage of Scripture today. So there's, there's three points that I'd like to walk through with you and like to draw our attention to in this passage. I, w- I want you to see how this passage reveals to us an abundance of Holy Spirit power. We're going to also look at dynamic gospel declaration. And then finally, we're going to look at a Christocentric point of decision. So as we buckle into God's Word, keep your Bible open as we look at these various points coming out of Acts chapter 4. The first one is this. We want to look at abundant Holy Spirit power. I love that verse 8 shows us very clearly that Peter, once again filled with the Holy Spirit, stands up to give an account for this action that he has taken. You know, it reminds me that Jesus himself made it very clear that his followers would be fruitful to the extent that we learn to remain in the vine. As we abide with him, we are filled with his Spirit. He said this before he ever even went to the cross, but after the cross in Acts 1.8, he says, and we quote this all the time, such a great life verse for us, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Now I want you to see as we look at this, this account in Acts chapter 4, of course we see this unfolding as Jesus predicted that it would, but I want you to see a bit of a pattern that unfolds all throughout the book of Acts. And we have it here for you on the screen uh, just to kind of keep you oriented. Now, I hesitate a little bit to use the word pattern because I think the Holy Spirit oftentimes does things the way that He wants to do them, shows up when He wants to show up, surprises us. In fact, we pray for those Holy Spirit surprises in your life. So don't be overly anxious to put God in a box of a pattern but observe the things and the ways and the movement that we see in Scripture. So we see this. We see the Spirit of God stirs as God's people pray. That's why we can never neglect the passion and the privilege of prayer. We see the Spirit of God stirring as God's people pray. That certainly has happened all through the book of Acts. It has happened in the history of the church and can happen in our lives today as well. We see that lives are impacted as God shows up. We see that there are questions that begin to be raised as hearts are stirred. In fact, this entire passage of Scripture is predicated on the question that is being asked. By what authority do you do this? By whose name are you doing these things? So questions are raised as hearts are stirred. And then the gospel is preached, which leads to lives being changed. So as you ruminate on this, let me take us through this first point of seeing an abundance of Holy Spirit power. So I think we have a tendency when we think about what is our call in the church and we need to be a witness and we need to share our faith and all of those kind of things, we have a tendency to start at point four and we wonder why our lives don't feel fruitful. Um, We rush ahead is what I'm saying past some of these important prerequisites that lay a foundation for the work that God desires to do, even through you, even through me today. So a couple, a couple points that would come from this, I would say this, don't neglect on the listening. Don't neglect to, on listening to the questions that are being asked around you. I'm actually gonna dig into this a little bit more in our next point, 
Uh, but when you think about the stuff in your world, and, and we have all kinds of questions being asked regarding politics and race, the pandemic that we're going through, many of these are massive questions. But as we think about our call to be witnesses for Christ, we have gospel answers even for the massive questions in our world today. So don't neglect listening to the questions. What are people asking around you today? Don't neglect Holy Spirit empowerment. Uh, friends, we have nothing if we do not have the empowerment of the Holy Spirit when it comes to kingdom expanding gospel demonstration and declaration. We have nothing. And so learn to be reliant upon the work of the Holy Spirit. Before I stand in the pulpit, before I bring a message to you, I am spending time before the Lord and on my knees saying, I absolutely know that I have nothing apart from the power of your Holy Spirit. And to the extent that He desires to show up in my preaching and in our work and in our ministry, we'll give Him praise for those things. But in and of ourselves, we don't have it. We'll never change a life. We'll never change a mind. We'll never point to Christ. So don't neglect the Spirit's empowerment. And, and if that's going to be true, then we must not neglect the power of prayer. Many of us are dry today and are lacking Spirit empowerment in our life simply because we have not taken the opportunities to pray. Now here's the beautiful thing. Some of you are saying, look, Pastor, you have no idea how disrupted my life has been in this last year. I haven't had the fellowship I'm used to. I haven't had the community that I'm used to. I haven't had accountability that I'm used to. All of those things are true but friends, let me encourage you with this. None of these things that we're talking about today are impacted or removed by any of the world's issues. Not by pandemic, not by prejudice, not by politics. Every one of these things was available to the Apostle Peter. Every one of these things is available to you. So adopt a posture of spirit empowerment today and you will find that there is abundant Holy Spirit power available for you for the ministry that God has called you to do. Now, if you don't believe me, just go back and think about what Jesus said in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. This is a hallmark signature verse for anybody who wonders about this first point. Jesus said this, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give, and listen to what he says specifically, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? So maybe this is your point for the message today to simply say, I need to ask the Holy Spirit for more. Take advantage of that as it is offered to you in Christ. Let's look at our second point today. What we see here is not only abundant Holy Spirit power, but we also see dynamic gospel declaration. The reason I say the word dynamic is not just to say, wow, that's really great, but saying dynamic meaning that it is flexible. It's moving with the circumstances that are presented before it. So verse 7 says that they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them by what power or what name did you do this? Man, what a setup. What, what an awesome, I, I could just see Peter salivating. You know, I mean, man, you are teeing me up and I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I am ready to go. Now, I want you to see this. They are asking the question based on the action that has already been done. It was the action that stirred the crowd. It was the action that began uh, to, to raise the questions. And I'm, I'm speaking specifically of the action of healing work 
that Peter and John did with this man that was in need. This was an act of gospel uh, demonstration that is now leading to an act of gospel declaration. Uh, I want to just mention this to you. It's been very interesting. I've been doing some work with the Billy Graham um, Institute for Evangelism in this last year. And uh, one of the things that I've been finding in my reading that's really fascinating is the churches that are growing the fastest as a result of evangelism, seeing new faith, people coming to new faith in Christ, are actually the churches that are doing the best in both gospel declaration and gospel demonstration. And and the error that we can run into is that there are churches and maybe even entire uh, denominations who would say, you know, we don't really talk about the gospel very much. We just want to show the love of Christ in the things that we do. And there's nothing wrong with showing the love of Christ in the things that we do, but it must be paired with gospel declaration. There are other churches who would say, hey, we preach the truth. We preach the truth. We don't, you know, it doesn't really matter how we act. We're speaking the truth. Both of those kind of churches are actually at the bottom of the barrel in terms of seeing new faith commitments to Christ. But the churches who are combining gospel declaration and gospel demonstration in a way that honors the Lord are seeing people respond to the Lord. I see this uh, just come alive in this scripture here today. So we want to be aware of that. Dynamic gospel declaration. We're now at that point. We see Peter responding to the question that is being asked. He's not just pushing play on his presentation of who Jesus is. He's responding to the questions that they're asking. Now, as we learn to exegete our culture, as we learn to listen for the questions that are being asked, there are, some, there are some big ticket items that you will see emerging around you in your culture. For example, one theologian put it this way, when we hear a culture that is clamoring for justice, that is decrying evil, that is, that is speaking about love and forgiveness, we begin to see the longings of our world. And friends, I think we are seeing that right now. We are seeing a, 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 a clamoring for justice in our world. And so in, in conversation, as you hear that coming up, you are hearing a heart cry. You are hearing a question. When we hear people decrying people, one group being evil, or how could this action be done? This is evil. It should cause us to ask the question, what do you mean by evil? When you see signs that say love is love, why does that uh, ethic rise to the, to, the, to the heart level of so many people. What do you mean by love? What do you mean when you say that love is love? So questions of justice and evil and love and forgiveness, they are swirling around us right now uh, in, a, in a very high degree. So isn't it interesting that when we look at the life and the ministry of Christ, and when we ask the question, okay, well, where do we see things like justice and evil and love and forgiveness find sort of uh, their, their merging uh, points, we can point back to a hill called Calvary where we see an outpouring of perfect justice, when we see the evil of humanity on full display, when we say the agape, see the agape love of God expressed specifically in the area of forgiveness and all of these converging at the cross. This is a powerful moment in our world's history. 
So we need to listen to the questions that are being asked if we can exegete our culture well. Well, Peter is doing that exactly. They're asking him the question, what is the authority by which you did this? And he begins to preach. He begins to tell them about Jesus. Jesus, who they had previously rejected or overlooked, he's saying, you've overlooked the cornerstone. You've overlooked the one who is the name above all names. You've overlooked the power by which we are doing this. Now, when I think about the importance of dynamic gospel declaration, I think we have some work to do within the church and even within my own heart and yours. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will do that work today. Uh, A.W. Tozer was fond of referencing the new cross and the old cross. When he said that, this is what he meant. He said, you know, we have a problem in the church today because we're trying to preach a new cross. This is a cross that doesn't slay the sinner, but it kind of redirects him. And specifically, he says this. He says, to the self-assertive person, it says, come and assert yourself for Christ. To the egotist, it says, come and do your boasting in the Lord. To the thrill seeker, it says, come and enjoy the thrill of Christian fellowship. The problem is that this Christian message is slanted uh, in the direction of the current vogue in order to make the gospel message more acceptable to the public. Well, why would that be a problem? He says, well, the philosophy behind this kind of thing, it may be sincere, but it doesn't mean that in its sincerity, it doesn't save it from being false. It's false because it's blind. It's missing completely the whole meaning of the cross. So he would say, look to the old cross. Look to the original, what was the cross actually doing? And friends, friends, it was a symbol of death. He says it stands for the abrupt and violent end of the human being. The cross made no compromises. It modified nothing. It spared nothing. It slew everything and completely and for good. It didn't try to keep on good terms with its victim. It struck cruel and hard, and when it finished its work, the man was no more. Now, you would say, well, that's not a very hopeful message. I mean, if we're talking about hope having a name, why in the world would we start there? But here's why we do it. To every person who has ever said, I tried Christianity, I tried to kind of add a little bit of Jesus to my life, and frankly, it really didn't do very much for me. They have missed out on the critical entrance to how it is that God offers life. A.W. Tozer said it this way. He said, God offers life, but not an improved life old life the life that he offers is a life out of death it stands always on the far side of the cross whoever would possess it must pass under the rod he must repudiate himself and concur in god's just sentence against him now if that sounds like bad news to you if that sounds like a weighty, if that sounds like I'm not really sure how to get my head or my mind around that, I wonder if Peter's hearers wondered the same thing. As he says to them, you want to know by what authority, you want to know by what power, you want to know by what name this man was healed, let me preach to you in the name of Jesus Christ. He's the stone that you overlook, but he has become the cornerstone of our faith. How do we actually allow the gospel message to be translated into us? How do we know, know, how how do I let the cross do its work in my life? 
Well, A.W. Tozer says this, and it's actually not as difficult as one might think, and at the same time, it's immensely costly. This is what he says. We must simply repent and believe. We must forsake our sin and then go on forsaking ourself. We must cover nothing, defend nothing, excuse nothing. We must not seek to make terms with God, but accept God's terms of death and resurrection. Friends, I'm saying this to you today because Peter was preaching to religious people. And I think this message of Jesus Christ as the cornerstone can be a very difficult message for a religious person to receive. There's a classic power struggle at play here. The religious people want to know, how did you do this? What's the authority that you're working under? It is a not too too, uh, thinly veiled attempt at controlling their situation. But it is clear evidence that a religious spirit is not the same thing as a reborn spirit. One has an external focus, the other one has an internal renewal. And so Jesus Christ has come to bring us abundant life, but it only comes when we really understand the cross that he calls us to bear. So friends, I would simply say in this point of dynamic gospel declaration, if you've never come to the point of dying to self, Jesus Christ will always feel like a product that you're not quite using correctly. So take that to heart as we think about our third point here. Our third point is a Christocentric point of decision. As Peter proclaims this, he says, Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. This is a line in the sand that Jesus himself and his followers after him did not mind drawing. Salvation is found in no one else. We all must do business with the Christocentric point of decision. Will Christ be the center or will he not? Peter's actually, uh, he's doing a great gospel job here because now he is actually quoting to them from uh, Psalm 118 and Isaiah 28. And these were religious elite people. They would know uh, the, the word of God as Peter was quoting it to them, but now he's making it relevant to them. So Psalm 118 says, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Lord has done this. It is marvelous in our eyes. The Lord has done it this very day. Let us rejoice today and be glad. Peter is saying that old psalm that you probably learned as you were going through your schooling, now I want you to understand that it has found its fullness in Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone. The question is this, and it is our question today, will you build your life on him? You see, verse 12 gives us a line in the sand that we all must consider. And here we have Peter in the fullness of God's Spirit, in a posture of prayer, and using acts of restoration that God is doing, but now coming to words of explanation that point clearly to Jesus Christ. My encouragement to you today as you consider this question, Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, will you build your life on Him? 
I do not want to pretend that this is a simple decision, but it is the vital decision that every one of us must do business on. It's about a month ago, there was a world-renowned psychologist who was reflecting on the person of Jesus Christ in an interview. Uh, and though this highly influential person is not himself a professing follower of Christ, he was addressing the question of Jesus compared to other mythological resurrection stories appropriate here at this time of year as we've been celebrating Easter. And his response, and I'm paraphrasing here, was essentially this. He said, you know, the problem is that there is a difference between those mythological gods and Christ. And that is that we have an, an historical account of Christ's existence. You know, so you could, you could debate whether or not that historical account is genuine. Did he actually live? Did he actually do the things that he was purported to do? But there is credible, objective evidence that he did live and that he did do many of the things that he was purported to have done. So this psychologist is reflecting. He says, so, so, so the issue that I'm looking at is, he said, now we've got this union between the mythology of Christ and the historical account of Christ. And as he's sort of speaking out loud, he says this. He says, I, I probably believe that. And yet I find myself kind of amazed at my own belief. This is fascinating to me. I, I, love, I love kind of seeing as, as people are exploring the questions of faith because he's doing it so thoughtfully and he, he was doing it so honestly. But at this point in the interview, there was a long pause. There's a long pause, one of those awkward pauses, and, and the interviewer realizes that the psychologist has paused because this brilliant, world-renowned psychologist has begun to cry. And it wasn't really like the, the little simple tear cry. I mean, he, he really starts getting worked up as he's thinking about this person of Christ. He says, there's this connection. He says, I'm sorry, I'm just, I'm thinking about this connection between the narrative world and the objective world. Now, I'm going to speak about that next week a little bit, the narrative and objective world. But he says, I'm thinking about the narrative world and the objective world coming together in the person of Christ, and suddenly it seems to me oddly plausible. But I still don't know what to make of it. And then he said this, I don't even know what would happen to you if you fully believed that. This was a powerful moment, an open window to the soul of someone who is being really thoughtful about the question of what it means to build your life on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone. And while I don't know exactly where his line of thinking will take him or what his ultimate decision will be, we all are called to make a decision about Jesus Christ and whether or not he will be our cornerstone. So friends, I'd like to conclude this message with just a couple invitations. The first is this. To the believer in Christ today, have you been trying to do gospel work on your own strength? The thing I love about the Acts and in in this passage in particular is that we see that Holy Spirit power is available to you if you are in Christ today. Learn to receive. Learn to accept a posture of receiving when it comes to prayerfully asking the Holy Spirit to work in your life today. Let that be your response to the message. Have we preached a new cross that doesn't call us to die to self 
and then, lo- and then really find life in abundance. Go to the old cross. Don't make bargains with God about who you are. Give Him all of yourself. Learn to die to self. Have we done business today with the person of Christ? Could I call you to a point of decision? You know, our staff loves to hear the questions that you're chewing on. What does it mean to build my life on Jesus Christ, the cornerstone? If you've never come to that decision today, I pray that today you will bow your knee to His Lordship because the Spirit is stirring and Christ Himself is calling. He is building His church and He wants all of you. Take that invitation today as we pray in just a moment. Peter was responding to the religious elite and he was telling them that Jesus was the cornerstone. Takes us back to Jesus talking to Peter because at one point in Peter's life, Jesus asked him the question, who do you say that I am? He had asked the question already, who does everybody else say that I am? But then he said, who do you say that I am? And Peter, led by the Holy Spirit, said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Peter, those were not words given to you by humanity. That is work of the Holy Spirit in your life. Are you ready today, friend, to bow your knee to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and simply confess you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. You are the cornerstone on which I will build my life. Father, would you help us today? I believe there's somebody here listening to this message that needs to respond to you somebody that's been trying to do things on their own strength, that has been needing to to fall on the fullness and the work of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I pray that you would infuse somebody today with a fresh outpouring of your Acts 1-8 power that comes when the Holy Spirit falls on us. We pray that you would do that today in Jesus' name. Lord, some of us have been trying to live out our faith coming through a new cross that has not really called us to die to self. And so today, we would just say afresh and anew, teach us to repent. Teach us to bow our knee to the Lordship of Christ. Teach us to give everything as you call us to. And Lord, for the person today that is needing to make that decision, that, that, that line in the sand has been drawn throughout history and there are two types of people. There are one that stand on the side of the Lordship of Christ and they bow their knee to it and others that resist it. I pray that today as your Holy Spirit beckons, you might give somebody the courage to step across that line of faith today. And friend, if that's you, I would simply ask you to pray where you are to say, Lord, I repent of my sin. I die to self. I look to the finished work of Jesus Christ. Spend time with Him this morning. Even as we close in worship, spend time with Him uh, asking Him to reveal to you those next steps, that gospel work that He desires as you step across that line of faith. So Jesus, do Your work among us. We have nothing without You. We look to You, Holy Spirit, to lead us today. We love You. We receive Your life in abundance. And we ask this, In Jesus' name, amen.